0: I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code bookclub10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too.
1: You're listening to the SLP Book Club, we're your hosts, Adrienne Frost and
0: Laura Geysert. This month, we're reading The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. This month, we are starting a new book for June, The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. And we are so excited to get started discussing this book. But of course, first in this episode, we're going to play a little game. And I don't know about you, Adrian. this is one I used to play a lot with my pragmatic (laughs) students. It is Would You Rather. Let me ask you a question first. Okay. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-great-grandchildren?
1: Okay. So I am more of a history person than like a future person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've been thinking about this recently because I've been following some really cool Instagram accounts that are AI generated art of an imagined future and it's really cool. I'll send some of them to you. But one of my best friends sent me an account like that where she said like this is such good creative inspiration for me. I love this account. And then I just went down a rabbit hole and started following all these accounts. But it made me think some people are really like sci-fi people. They're like what will the future be like, you know? But I love mm-hmm. the past. So, I would love to go back. Of course, there are problems with the past. Hygiene being like one of them. I've always thought everyone would be so stinky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like taking your one bath a month and your
1: clothes are never like... washed and, ugh, yeah no deodorant like it's horrifying no no
0: thanks <laughs> but
1: um you know the information would be priceless it would be really cool so that's what I would do what about yeah. you
0: well the same I mean there's the big glaring obvious problem that I do not and probably will not have children <laughs> so oh. But even if I did, maybe I would want to go and meet my sister's great-great-grandchildren. But no, it would definitely be going into the past. I have done some past life
1: regression, hypnosis. Oh, yeah. We get real woo-woo over here. We really do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let me ask you one now. Would you rather go to a movie or to dinner alone? So
0: I would not like to go to a movie alone. I'm a little scared in movie theaters. When I used to work at a restaurant, people would come in solo. Like a woman with a book would come into the restaurant and sit down and eat by herself. I was like, that is luxury. What a dream. <laughs> I want to just sit by myself and read. So I did it once. I went to this place in Santa Barbara, brought my book, like had some lobster bisque and a glass of wine. And I love to do it yeah. at the airport too. Oh yeah. Have a glass of wine and a burger and fries. Of yum. <laughs> and just be by myself. It's so great. I love it. Like, it's not like I'd be like, ooh, this is embarrassing. Yeah, it's a total dream. What about you?
1: I think it's easier to go to a movie alone, but probably a better stretch, like a better exercise to go to dinner alone because it's not – you're not in a dark theater. Like, I don't even know if I'd be able to really concentrate on a book if I kind of felt like, oh – Are people looking at me? Like, I don't know if I'd be able to focus.
0: (laughs) Do they think I'm being stood up?
1: But when you said that about the airport, I'm like, oh, I do that every time I'm at the airport. I sit at the bar. I have a little snack, a little drinky. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, no. Like, I love to get a table by myself just to have that time by yourself.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I've been, like, kind of fantasizing about recently is having a picnic by myself. Going to the park bringing a blanket, a book, snacks, (laughs) and just kind of like setting up by a pond or a little lake and just kind of like enjoying the sun (laughs) and reading. I don't know.
0: It sounds so nice. Yeah. Do it. (laughs) I think it's this
1: weather, you know, it's inspiring me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Would you rather be stuck on a broken ski lift or in a broken elevator? Ski lift. I have nightmares about elevators all the time. And that's
1: so scary to me. So ski lift for sure.
0: (laughs) Wait, have I told you that I got stuck in my last building twice and had to call 911 and get the fire department there? No. Yes. Horrifying. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But it's never that bad. Now it's, it's out of the way. Like I know what to do. The call buttons, nothing was happening with those call buttons. Those are useless. Just for future reference, those are useless. What if you didn't have cell phone reception? And I didn't. I didn't I was like trying to get it and I called the fire department like I looked up on my map I found the reception looked it up called the fire department they were like can you please hang up and call 911? I was like
1: oh I hate calling 9 I know I know <laughs> but yeah
0: it's happened to me twice same elevator oh my gosh horrifying yeah it was the worst we didn't even address you would be on a ski lift I mean how long would you be up there what if you had to pee You have no
1: idea some of these nightmares I've had about being in free fall elevators where your body just like floats to the top. It's horrifying. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Maybe it's a past life thing. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know about it. I wish I did.
0: Okay. Stick around after the break. We'll be back with this week's chapter.
1: The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore bookclub to join the discussion and connect with us after
0: each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the SLPbookclub.com.
1: You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore bookclub or on TikTok at the SLP Book Club.
0: All right, welcome back. Let's dig into this new book. Today we're gonna go over just the introduction, chapters one and two. This is a pretty small but mighty book i would say so far from what i've read it's chock full of info i know i read some reviews <laughs> where people were like i read this in a day amazing every slp needs to read it so yeah i'm just so excited if you're listening to this i hope you've gotten the book because we're going to try to go through as much information as we can but it's really it's interesting stuff
1: and you know the best part about this book laura is it's By an SLP written for SLPs. So this is the first book we've really done that is directly targeted
0: at our people. Yes, (laughs) we don't have to adapt anything. We're not going to be going teachers, parents, this is for us. This is really going to benefit anybody who works with kids. It's really cool stuff. So first in the prologue, Tara kind of explains how she got into this, just that in grad school, she was really interested in reading research from different fields, not just speech language pathology, but psychology, neurology, linguistics. She was really fascinated by neuroplasticity, and she wanted to understand the why behind the deficits that we treat. So she wanted to just see the bigger picture of learning and how it all fit together. And I was immediately pulled in by this because I think sometimes as SLPs, we miss the forest for the trees because of the way we test kids. You know, it's like we get this little list. Oh, he can't do this. He can't do this. He can't do this. Let me just Mm. pick one of those to work on as a goal. And it's like, Mm. well, is that going to have a real impact, especially with language? This is that feeling when you see this pattern emerging
1: from maybe you're doing a full team eval so you're getting information from the psych you're getting information from the rsp teacher or you know the academic report and then you're doing your report and it's like the same issues are coming up and you can kind of see a pattern emerging but it's it's like nobody's really treating the root and it's that kind of feeling that's just at the back of your head something's not right and this might be why we see some of these kids who have more of these sort of global deficits these kids who have ADHD, these kids who have autism, where it's like, you can just like she said, you put a bandaid on the symptoms, but you're never really treating the root cause. And as we're going to go over the chapters, like, I feel like she does such a good job of just illustrating the big picture. And it really has been changing the way I think about things.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I have one student in mind who I started seeing when she was in preschool, such a hilarious girl, but so unintelligible. I mean, her phonological processes were, she had everyone you could think of, everything, every single one, stopping, fronting, cluster reduction, gliding, final constant deletion. It was just like everything. And then as she moved up through the grades, it was the reading and she got retained in first grade. We were all, the teacher and me and the RSP teacher, we were trying to figure things out. And I had this feeling, just like you said, where I was like, this is all related, I think, to her phonological processing. It's all interconnected. We're kind of jumping the gun now. But yeah, as I'm reading this, (laughs) (laughs) we all were. We were just putting Band-Aids on the problem and kind of treating what we could see. But there was something underlying that was really what needed to be treated. Tara's goal is to reshape how we assess and treat children with learning deficits, and she has this cognitive processing model that we're going to learn about in the book that really gets to the root of the challenges that kids have and explains the connections, why the kids we see also have problems in maybe math or reading. So in the introduction, she starts by saying, we are label happy, which... (laughs) agree. (laughs) Yeah, of course.
1: Well, you have to be, if you work in the schools and you're trying to get a kid to qualify, you have to, but they are really big buckets for us to put all these unique kids into, you know?
0: Yeah. And she's saying, what information clinically labels give us they can point us in the right direction but they can also point us in the wrong direction and we often miss overlapping cognitive components like if a child has dyslexia and language impairment there's this underlying cognitive deficit that needs to be treated you know that you need to find that connection so she has an integrated cognitive approach to assessment and intervention where we figure out how a student is actually processing information, and then we strengthen the processing rather than putting a Band-Aid on the symptoms. So what this reminded me of, I know I always talk about health stuff, mm-hmm. but you know for a while I got really into functional or integrative medicine. And it's kind of that thing where we, we in America see medicine as all these different specialties and departments and they don't really communicate. So if you have a problem with your skin, go to the dermatologist and they're treating this surface level like the skin, but maybe it's what you're eating. Maybe you need to eliminate dairy or maybe it's your hormones. So, you know, like a functional medicine doctor doesn't just put an ointment on the skin. They're going to want to do like a whole systems thing, figure out where the problem is coming from, treat that. So I'm looking at Tara as kind of like the functional medicine doctor of the SLP world. (laughs) (laughs) So... Instead of using approach focusing on strategies that we can teach to kids, we should be focusing on strengthening the deficits that they have. We can restructure how the brain processes information, and then once a structural change is set in motion in the brain, it will determine the future development of the brain. Tara says that children are not data They are complex. They have complex systems that all must work together for them to learn. And instead of focusing on things like standard scores and labels, we need to be focusing on patterns of difficulty. So at the end of the introduction, she says, we must stop taking our wondrous children who come to us as curious, diverse learners and try to cram them into a one size fits all model. We must stop focusing on arbitrary test scores to tell us if our children are okay. We must stop trying to create one kind of learner. We must meet our children where they are in development, guide them along the learning process, and support them exactly where they need supporting. Agreed, Tara. Yeah. So the introduction and prologue, Pulled me in. I am with her one hundred percent so far. Sure. And now we'll get into chapter one. So chapter one is really just presenting us with the model. It's like she—I don't even know—did she write very much? I was like, here it is. Here's a picture of it. So this is the big picture: an integrated model of cognitive processing. She said there's a difference between function and skill. So your brain has functions that it develops, and think of those like your muscles. If your bicep is big enough, that's the function and then the task is the lifting of something. It's able to perform this task. So cognitions like this, we have functions that allow us to perform tasks or acquire skills if those functions are strong enough. And we need to address the underlying cognitive functions rather than trying to address every little skill. And if we do strengthen those cognitive muscles, children can acquire skills more independently. So she presents this model of integrated cognitive processing The model helps us to see where the breakdown in processing is happening and shows how development in one area might be impacting other development. The cognitive processes involved in learning include speech development, phonological processing, visual imagery processing for symbols and for concepts, receptive and expressive language, and executive functions. They don't function in isolation, they're all connected and they function together. So the model is five overlapping circles, and each one has a cognitive function. So we have speech development, phonological processing, visual imagery processing for symbols, and then mathematical computation and concepts, and language processing. And they all overlap, and language processing overlaps with all the other Mm -hmm. four. And then there's a big circle around all of them. And those are your executive functions, right? Right. It took me until the later chapters to realize that executive functions are surrounding it all. So if you have a deficit in executive functioning, it's going to impact all the other ones. So that was it for chapter one, right, Adrienne? She just presents the model. (laughs) What do you think so far? Yeah, I mean,
1: it's really quick. These chapters are information heavy, but short, which is good.
0: Yeah, love it. And now we're going to get into chapter two, where she describes each subsystem of the model. So very first one, we're speech therapists, and the first one is speech development. This is just about sounds, not meaning. It's the sounds we use to communicate. So, Tara describes sound development in babies. The brain starts to form connections between what the baby feels in its mouth and what it hears the mom say. So, if the mom is saying bottle and the baby starts to say ba, 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 over time, that becomes more refined and the baby will be refining what's recorded in the phonological processing system. Speech processing is a cognitive function. And in the model, it overlaps with phonological processing and language processing. If you're following along with us, look in the book at that model so you understand what I'm talking about. When speech develops appropriately, the child's going to acquire certain skills. So the function is the speech development, and then the skills are cooing, babbling, verbal sound play, and then articulation. If it doesn't develop appropriately, there will be delays in the development of those skills. The phonological processing system will be impacted and a child will most likely have difficulty with reading because Mm. they won't have that phonological awareness. So SLPs always need to address phonological processing when they're addressing speech development. Our next subsystem is phonological processing. This is the system of the brain that processes sound. It's the hearing part of the brain. It processes phonemes, which are the building blocks of speech production and language. It also processes syllables. And she provides a list of all the different syllable structures for one-syllable words and explains how children need to be able to identify the sounds they are processing and the order in which they are processing them. Children also need to be able to manipulate sounds in words. It's really important for SLPs to understand where in the hierarchy of sound structures the child is struggling. One study showed that phonemic awareness intervention improved speech impairments. She also describes a follow-up study that was done on children with phonological disorders, like a 28 years later follow-up study. They had lower grades in high school, more remedial academic services, fewer years of formal education than a control group. So that just shows that speech sound and phonological processing disorders have a significant impact on later academics. When phonological processing develops appropriately, the skills we see are imitation, phonological awareness, phonics acquisition, decoding for reading, phonetic spelling, and reading accuracy. And then she gives a client report of a little girl that was diagnosed with dyslexia who had been in speech therapy for years, and a comprehensive cognitive evaluation revealed that she had weakness in her phonological processing region at the two-sound level. So CV and VC syllable structures. And her reading intervention was ineffective because it assumed that she was at the CVC level. And Tara says often when they're working on reading, they do assume that kids are at the CVC level. So I'm hoping we're going to learn later how to assess Mm -hmm. to see what level they're Mm -hmm. at because I'm like, oh my God, how do you know exactly where they are? Okay, so our next subsystem is language processing. Language is giving meaning to sound, attaching a concept or mental representation to a unit of sounds. So this is when a little baby understands that the sound dog means that animal in their house. We use mental pictures to anchor language in our brains. The ability to visualize language is required to develop language, comprehension, and organized expression we create mental representations in our minds that allow us to think, develop language and self-regulate. So babies show this, that they have this ability when they develop object permanence around eight to 12 months, and that gradually becomes more sophisticated. You can hide an object and they'll find it. Or when they start to do pretend play, they've really fully developed object permanence. She gives the example of using a banana as a phone. They've stored in their mind what a phone is and they can kind of manipulate it in their mind. This system becomes more sophisticated as children grow and can generate, store, manipulate, and retrieve lots of information. It can be developed through an activity that stimulates the imagination to create pictures like pretend play, reading, or art. I thought this was interesting that her take on devices, you know, tablets and phones that kids are on now, they provide images to the children's brains And we need to return to activities where their brains are forced to generate images on their own. Right. I was like, ooh, yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, definitely. So
0: she explains why phonology is separated from language in her model, because children with strong phonological skills can read nonsense words. So it obviously can be separated, even though there is an overlap. Right. They're interrelated, but phonology is something separate from language. And she also touches on the fact that pragmatics is a function of executive functioning. So it's not included in the language. It's included in the model under executive functioning. And we have receptive and expressive pathways. They are not the same and they need to be addressed separately. So our next subsystem is visual imagery processing for symbols. This is the cognitive process that allows us to recognize, retain, and recall various symbols. It's important for reading, writing, and math. Only two-dimensional imagery is required, unlike the three-dimensional imagery that you use to store language. So when you are thinking in language terms in your head, you're seeing things in three dimensions. But symbols need to be stored in static, unchanging ways. So you need to lock them down the way they were seen. I once had an RSP teacher do that cell phone thing that she mentioned, Adrienne. Have you had people do that before? Where they explain to parents the example of a phone. If you turn it upside down, it's still a phone. Sideways, backwards, it's always a phone. But if you take the letter B and you flip it upside down, it's a P. You flip it the other way, it's a D or a Q. Oh, sure. So, but the cell phone's always a cell phone. The cell phone's always a cell phone. So right. things like that are really hard for some kids to acquire. Right. And now we know from reading this book, there's a specific area of the brain that's been identified where kids are either strong or weak in this ability to recognize symbols. So we all know those kids that have a lot of trouble with remembering the symbols, storing them and retaining them and retrieving them. She gives the client report of a student diagnosed with dyslexia who received phonologically based intervention for years with very little improvement. And then a cognitive evaluation revealed weakness in visual imagery processing for symbols. So if you just have a kid with dyslexia and you just are like, he's dyslexic, so we'll use this strategy or this form of intervention that we know is effective for dyslexia. But you don't know that his specific issue is just with this symbol recognition. Right. You know, he has deficits in just that. Then you're treating A different area and of course he's not going to make progress because the root issue his problem is recognizing the symbols right so visual imagery processing for symbols overlaps with language processing math computation and phonological processing in her model i wasn't sure how it relates to phonological processing oh i guess because when you see the symbol you have to know the sound it makes the sound okay and maybe if you're confused visually if that's a p or a b then you'll you don't know the right sound yeah I guess yeah I guess they would impact each other okay okay yeah and then she very quickly goes through the math part of the model math computation and concepts she just says what you need to know is math is equal to language plus visual imagery for symbols plus executive functioning so I know I'll talk more about that in chapter four yeah yeah so we're going to talk more about that in the future, but I know there were times in IEPs where I wanted to jump in on math, many, where they're talking about Word these problems, language-based problems, and you're like, "It's not the math. <laughs> it's a language issue.
1: I feel like the good RSP teachers, the good sped teachers know that, yeah, and they're bringing that up, yeah, like writing goals to support the language or to get the language within the math problems reduced. Yeah. And that can be like an accommodation on the IEP or a goal, but that is such a key component. And I'll talk about that, of course. But
0: Yeah, that is it. I know that was really information heavy. I really, really encourage if you're an SLP, get this book. I know that Tara, I looked on her Instagram. She's working on a book for treatment. This is more of an assessment book to really find what the underlying issue is. But this is just such an interesting concept. I can't wait to see what Mm -hmm. else she comes out with. Same. Because this is just kind of a new way to look at things. And, you know, sometimes we are a little bit lost. We pick goals for kids where we're just like, well, I have really great materials for working on this. So let's work on that, you know? Right. I mean, right. he was low in this area. So sure, those kids are going to stay in speech therapy forever oh, yeah. or receive other services forever. And they're not going to become independent if we're not really finding the root cause of the problem. So, ooh, I can't <laughs> wait to read more and get more into this. Same. Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah.
1: I mean, as we dig more into each area, it starts to make more sense and you'll definitely be thinking about your students oh my gosh, this explains what was going on with him. And this is what was going on with her. And the pieces have definitely been falling into place. So
0: yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. (laughs) So also, I mean, maybe head over to our Instagram, because if this isn't making sense, we'll have some more information over there, maybe some visuals to help you make sense of the information you've heard today. And that is it for this episode. We'll see you back here next time to discuss chapters three and four of the Seeds of Learning. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. At the SLP Book Club, our mission is to learn, grow, and connect with other SLPs and educators. If you love what we're doing, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. This helps other SLPs find the show so our community can grow even stronger. We appreciate you so much and hope you keep listening and reading along with us.